there, all you excellent egrets. Thanks for joining us for another week of A Little Greener, podcast all about nature, conservation, and sustainability. I am one of your hosts. My name is Sarah, and I'm joined by the excellent Casey. How's it going this week, Casey? Hi, Sarah. It's going. It's, uh, I'm just, I don't know. I'm an adulting today. So adulting. we did, we, yes. Yeah. We were very productive. We were oh, like, well, that's good. to try and get a new roof and got Ugh. pet insurance and just all the like, not very fun parts about being an adult, but very productive, at least, you know, things that we were pushing off. What about you? Good for you. I'm fine. I'm a little toasty right now because oh, as it? my carbon fast for Lent continues, oh. I have my thermostat set at 83 Dang, girl. in my house right now. But here's the thing. I came home from work. I had it set at 82. And I was like, it feels good in here. Like it did not, I was like, I feel like my thermostat might be broken because I was like this, it feels too nice in here. I don't think it's really 82 degrees. So I turned it up another degree to 83 and now I'm hot. Now you're warm. I don't know. Like when we stayed with you, you like to keep it toasty anyway. So I do normally. Yes. Normally I'll, I'll set it at 78 when it's just me. Yeah. I turn it down for company. Don't be afraid to come visit me, everybody. (laughs) But yeah, so I guess I that's I walked in and it didn't really feel any different to me and I'd been outside so it it felt really nice. But that extra degree has broken me. I am <laughs> I am toasty right now. So speaking of of heating, one of the questions that I asked our roof guy was what impacts the new roof might have on our energy consumption. And they were talking about they're going to add a smart vent just based on the I'm not going to go into detail because I don't know the detail. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, based on how our house is built, it it will help uh, circulate more air to help our upper story, which is where we sleep, stay cooler over the course of the season. And then I asked about like the color. Does that impact anything? And he said only really the outside. It's not really making a big impact as far as um, okay. absorption. So I think it's a good uh was a good moment for me to like ask a contractor because I'm making changes on my house. Yeah. A question that uh, that I don't know really like I don't have suggestions about the solution, but I had questions about wh- how they were thinking about it, and they did have good answers. So that was a good, uh, made me feel good about it as also a purchaser from this particular contractor too. So yes. that was cool. Proud of you. Thank you. I'm proud of you for your carbon fast. This is <laughs> awesome. Uh, we got a lot to talk about today, Sarah. We got a dense episode today. We're going to talk about PFAS, <laughs> which I think is how. You pronounce it P-F-A-S. I actually feel like PFAs would be the way that I PFAs. Okay. <laughs> Personally, I have no idea what the people say, but oh, when I read okay. it, yeah, yeah. I read PFAs. All right. These are, you may have seen it in the news because if you Google this, there's new news articles literally every day about it. They're also called forever chemicals. Mm-hmm. And I uh, knew about them vaguely, but had basically no background information on any of it and they're very topical right now so I decided I wanted to create a resource that I wish I had in one particular place um, with all the updated information so that's what I tried to do today and Sarah the the place I knew that that PFAS existed was in cookware 
What kind of cookware do you use? The one that has PFAs. <laughs> we're going to just uh, go back and forth with our pronunciations. Yeah. Um, but yes, this we are going to exhaust the entirety of what I know about these chemicals in our introduction because, as you've mentioned, they're called forever chemicals. This is what I know. I know they exist. I know there's a lot of them. I know that that's what they're called, and I know that they're in uh, nonstick cookware. And I have very old nonstick cookware that's not really nonstick anymore. And I'm pretty sure that that's not a good idea, <laughs> but I do have them. And um, that is what I use. Maybe by the end of tonight, I will. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, I think I have Sarah's challenge for the end of the episode. <laughs> I do have one. I have one that is not. I, well, I have some that are newer. Yeah. Uh, but I do the one that I use most often, honestly, is very old and no longer is nonstick. And then I do have one pan that is not nonstick cookware. So I'm probably good there. I have one nonstick pan that I really, really like that might not be in my house much longer. <laughs> um, but when we registered for our wedding registry, I specifically wanted stainless steel because I had known again that like Teflon nonstick had some issues specifically it has issues with birds. They recommend that you don't have your bird when you're cooking with it anywhere mm -hmm. nearby. And as Andrew points out, if it's bad for Luna, it's probably not very good for us. And so we, you know, having the opportunity to invest in new cookware went with a stainless steel option for that reason. Um, but let's talk a little bit in just a moment about all the places you can find these things what what's the deal with them why are we talking about them what are the impacts what do we know and, and what's going on so stick around All right. And we're back. Uh, if you Google PFAS, you're going to see all sorts of news articles. Um, specifically, it seems to pop up because the EPA has proposed new rules for chemical levels in drinking water. Um, but there's actually a lot going on with these chemicals. Uh, I want to start off this episode by saying, please, if you're interested at all, take a look at the show notes. I have so many resources from a lot of really great places, places like the EPA, the CDC, um, the NRDC, lots of great news articles out there. So if you want to learn more, they have a lot more information than I do. The other thing I want to put out there is that we're going to talk about something that I think might cause some anxiety in people and that I the way I sort of approach this, because I would be someone normally susceptible to that anxiety, is that this has been going on for a really long time and we all lived in the world this whole time with this happening and maybe we have accustomed ourselves to it, it being normal and where we're going is probably a really much better place but that like our sense of normal can kind of stay what normal is and we can start getting ourselves actually into an even better place now knowing more information. Does that make sense, Sarah? Does that seem fair? It does. And you and correct me if I'm taking this in another direction than you were going to, but wait, and maybe this will become more clear as we talk about it too. I'm sort of in my mind already thinking about this in the same way that I think about something like air pollution. Um, you know? Yes. Yeah. In a, in a sense, like it's there, it exists. I know that there are things I'm breathing in, car exhaust and things when I go outside. I'm not scared every day when I go outside that 
these things are going to be the end of me. I know that there are things that are not good for me and that could build up over time and could cause problems, but, and that, and that we can do better and that we should do better. So I think that's sort of where my brain is going to go with this. Cause as we're going to talk about, they are everywhere. There are lots of potential impacts and things like that. And I do not live in fear of this. I was telling Casey before we started recording, this is a thing that I've sort of known about and just, it's kind of just not at the forefront of my mind. Uh, but that doesn't mean I don't think that we can and should and are going to do better with them too. Yeah. What I would say is this doesn't feel like climate change where there's like a scary deadline mm-hmm. <laughs> with visible changes in our world. This is something, like you said, with air pollution that exists around us that we can't necessarily see, but we can acknowledge is happening. Mm-hmm. But again, I think we're heading into a good place. So um, that's actually the, where I started is what is a PFAS and what is it used for? I was having a lot of trouble visualizing what the heck we are talking about. <laughs> so PFAS, PFAS as I like to call it, stands for per and polyfluoroalkyl substances. So the S doesn't make it plural. It is part of the acronym, which is why mm-hmm. I lean on PFAS rather than... Yeah, it, I think that PFAS. you're probably right. That's just how just where, my how brain wants to it. say yeah. it. Yeah. Totally. I mean, it's it's all human made up. We can do whatever we want. But <laughs> um, they were introduced into manufacturing around the 1940s. Two big chemical companies that are associated with PFAS are um, 3M, which was based in Minnesota, and DuPont, um, who's actually fairly local to uh, me. Like they're they're in Delaware, I believe. Um, they're two huge chemical manufacturing companies. I think it's important to acknowledge initially that. Our development of new chemicals are typically to solve existing problems. So we identify, oh, there are bugs eating there are food crops. There are, you know, things are getting corroded. Our products aren't lasting long enough. What are we inventing that can help solve these problems? And I think that sort of PFAS was invented and they recognize different properties of it. And we're able to apply it for different things. So uh, PFAS are a class of chemicals. There are thousands of them that are used for a wide variety of purposes, including nonstick cookware, stain grease and water-resistant clothing, carpeting, upholstery, some firefighting foams, some cosmetics, and some other stuff. (laughs) Other places you're going to find them on manufacturing equipment to prevent the buildup of grease. Fast food containers, microwave popcorn bags to reduce the leak through of grease, aviation fuel, and pesticides. Interesting. I didn't know most of those. A couple of them outside of the nonstick cookware I was aware of. But yeah, there's a a lot that I didn't know about. They do a lot. There's a lot of them. The The biggest properties that seem to be marketable is that they are like grease and oil resistant. So they help products last longer. They help make clothing and mm-hmm. things uh, repellent to different things that might make them stain or, or go bad faster. It makes sense. Like I can see the sort of common yes, thread the throughout those. Feeling through it. Um, some, so some brand names were invented straight from PFOS, Teflon. Like that is brand name nonstick cookware um, and Scotchgard, which I'm not as familiar with, but like I know it as a thing. Yeah. It is a spray that you could put on different fabrics to make them stain resistant. 
when they were trying to figure out all the ways you can use PFAS, they discovered in the 60s that you can use it as a firefighting foam, which is known as aqueous film forming foam, which it looks like super soap bubbles. And it's (laughs) mostly used by firefighters and on military bases to fight petroleum based fires. And it's extremely effective at putting out petroleum based fires. Again, thousands of types of PFAS out there. New ones are being developed all the time, and some are being phased out. And many might not even be identified yet and are created accidentally during the manufacturing process. So there is no like comprehensive list of PFAS. Interesting. That you could, yeah, look at necessarily. <laughs> and I know, yeah, like there are what they call emerging ones now. So there are the ones that have been around. There's a ton that we just don't know about. There's a few that we've done a little more study on, and then we have a bunch of um, emerging ones, right? Right. And I will say also during the course of this, I initially kind of conflated phthalates, which starts with a P as well, with PFOS, which is a type of plastic. They're not the same thing, just in case you're like me and are like, phthalates are also a thing I've heard in this sort of weird conversation. So why do we care? The NRDC's Eric Olson broke down the issues of PFAS pretty succinctly. He said the structure of PFAS means that they resist breakdown in the environment and in our bodies. So this is where you get forever chemicals from. Yeah. And I will say that even though I don't consider this is not a thing that I worry about. Anything that you call a forever chemical, like anything that doesn't break down, I feel like just deserves some attention. That is a thing that we need to look really carefully at yeah. in my mind. <laughs> yes, absolutely. I was even like when I mentioned to my sister that I was doing this episode, she is taking her master's in stormwater management. She does a lot of stuff with runoff and groundwater, which is a place that PFAS are an issue. And she was mentioning like, yes, they've done studies. It exists for a long time in places like rain gardens. Um, they Number two, he says they move relatively quickly through the environment, making their contamination hard to contain. So again, we don't even know what they are. (laughs) So they can be released through the manufacturing process through air pollution. They can bind themselves to particulate matter in air pollution. They can leak into our water used in manufacturing. And they have also been intentionally dumped by companies like DuPont and I believe 3M as well. There's a lot of issues. DuPont was like famously in a lawsuit about PFAS, also known as C8. And apparently there's a movie with Mark Ruffalo in it and Anne Hathaway called Dark Waters. And that is about a lawsuit with DuPont on PFAS. Interesting. Yeah, it came out in 2019. So Mark Ruffalo is now like a very big advocate for PFAS regulation. A firefighting training video that I saw, because I was like, no, let's look at, at what risk firefighters specifically have. It said that it can be absorbed through your skin, inhaled or ingested. So when you use clothing or PPE that has PFAS sprayed on it, or you're using this firefighting foam, that can be absorbed through your skin up through our food chain. So um, either through the packaging that we talked about or if we're eating things like dairy or fish, it can be absorbed that way when it's ingested and it can get into our drinking water, too. Yeah. So if you're sitting here listening to this wondering, well, is this a thing that I've been exposed to? Yes. Almost definitely. Yes. Yes. The answer is yes, you have. I think they found it in at least 98 percent of samples from humans. Like it's 
yes, you have been exposed to it. It is probably in your body. And so again, I'm not trying to freak you out. This is your normal. Right. This is not normal for Earth. This is our normal for your lifespan. Mm -hmm. 1940s. It's normal. Not good, but normal. (laughs) And number three, for some PFAS, even extremely low levels of exposure can negatively impact our health. So 3M and DuPont have known about the issues surrounding PFAS since at least the 1960s and 1970s, with animal and human studies linked to uh, linking exposure to liver damage as just one of the examples. They've known about it. They've done testing. They have found issues both in the animal testing and with people who have worked at their plants. So this is not also new news to us or even like the EPA. Yeah. I will just say, at least based on the little that I know, Casey, so correct me if I'm wrong too, there are challenges because, as you said, there's so many different kinds. Mm -hmm. So different exposure to different kinds may have different results. There are some that we know about the impacts better than others. It's hard to always determine exposure like this. It can be hard sometimes to determine direct causes of things. And we don't always respond the same way that animals do in tests too. So there are those types of questions. Yes. And we also do have fairly good studies now that actually do tell us a lot of information. Like you said, there's so many different kinds that there are very specifically studied versions of PFOS that we do know a lot about. Um, yes. But as you you said, tracking the exposure people have and isolating that as their only factor can be very difficult. But we're going to talk about that later in the episode because they have done some of that stuff. So we're a podcast about nature, conservation, and sustainability. So how <laughs> does this have to do with the environment? I mean, anything that has a forever chemical probably already right. feels like it's relevant. Most studies uh, are about the human impacts of PFAS. So we have limited data on PFAS impacts on the environment, but I did find a couple things. Most of the studies that study the environment have to do with aquatic life because PFAS often enter the environment through the groundwater. So fish especially have been documented with high levels of PFAS, and that's mostly studied in relation to human exposure. So we know that people who have a higher diet with fish are Mm, going to potentially be exposed more. Yep. The prevalence of a particular type of PFOS, which we'll talk about in a little bit, PFOS, <laughs> P-F-O-S, um, was studied in species like polar bear, albatross, bald eagles, and seals. I believe that study came out in 2001. And they found that all of these animals contained PFOS, even in the Arctic. And the concentrations are highest closer to industrialized areas. The concentrations found in fish-eating predators, which is what this study um, studied, is higher than the fish they eat, which Mm -hmm. means that these animals are experiencing bioaccumulation. The way I learned about bioaccumulation was through when bald eagles were especially Mm -hmm. threatened by DDT. It was because it was going into the waterways, the fish were eating it, the bald eagles were eating the fish, and predators higher up the food chain tend to have higher concentrations of these toxins accumulating in their tissues. So I think what that study helps with, and I could only read the abstract because paywalls, but (laughs) what it does help, I think, clarify a little bit is that this is not just like an ambient chemical, like it is higher prevalence near industrialized Mm -hmm. areas. There is a human source to it, um, but also that it's persistent in everywhere. And it's spreading. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. You find it in the Arctic. You find it in the Arctic. There's not a lot of factories in the Arctic. I didn't find any studies, and I should say I also didn't 
do as much digging. So I bet you they're out there. They use insecticides that break down into PFOS, which is that same type of Mm. PFOS that we just talked about in the animals, to combat leafcutter ants in Brazil, Latin America, and the Caribbean. And as we'll talk about, PFOS have been phased out because we know for sure they are bad. So that cannot be really good for the people and animals that live in that environment. PFOS can also show up as foam on bodies of water. So it's important to note that foam can naturally occur on bodies of water. So if you've ever been kayaking and you've seen like dirty foam, rivers and waterways emit different gases. There's buildup on there. But also PFOS can form foam. And so the place I was getting this from was Michigan was had it as part oh, of their water advisory. Sad. If, I know. So another way we connect to the environment is we all like to recreate mm-hmm. the environment. So they were saying, hey, keep an eye out. What If you're seeing foam, it's not necessarily PFOS foam, but there is PFOS foam out there. And it's generally bright white, sticky, very lightweight, and it can actually blow off of the water onto the shore in places like lakes. So they recommended, hey, if you're going to go into bodies of water, avoid the foam if you get, you know, wash yourself afterwards. But also PFOS can be found in our outdoor weather resistant clothing as well. So a lot of, you know, we're looking for stain resistant, we're looking for water resistant. That's all treated with PFOS. Yeah. So human health. This is a list directly from the EPA. Sarah, I copy pasted and reformatted. So what I'm about to read to you <laughs> is from the EPA. Basically, what they're saying is this is this is what current studies tell us. We know that PFOS have reproductive effects such as decreased fertility, increased high blood pressure in pregnant women, developmental effects and delays in children, including low birth weight, accelerated puberty, bone variations or behavioral changes, increased risk of some cancers, including including prostate, kidney, testicular cancers, reduced ability of the body's immune system to fight infections, including reduced vaccine response, interference with the body's natural hormones, and increased cholesterol levels or risk of obesity. So this is lots of studies over time. They are probably focused on particular types of PFOS. Yeah. So just like what I, the CDC, I think, had that same list too. And does just mention that this is not necessarily every single one of these chemicals causes every single one of these things, but different ones have been linked to two different aspects of these. Yes. And again, you might be like, uh, if 98% of us have these in our bodies, how the heck are you figuring this out? Are you doing it over time? Um, what they will study is people who are at the higher risk of exposure. So that's people in plants that manufacture with PFAS, um, pregnant women and children. <laughs> I'm part of that group. We both drink more water, breathe more air, and eat more food per pound of person that we are. Um, but kids are also still developing. So some of those developmental delays are are bigger concerns for exposure to PFOS. PFOS can pass through breast milk, but the CDC said that the the benefits of breastfeeding still way outweigh the risk of PFOS transfer. So if you're someone who's like, well, I don't want to give my kid PFOS through my breast milk, that's not something that the CDC is thinking is as much a concern um, because there's a lot of benefits to breastfeeding as well. Right. And we've all we've all been exposed. We're not all developing all of these things. So this is all these are just showing concerns that we have 
uh, that we know exist with these chemicals, it doesn't mean that 100% of the time that you're going to get all of these things. So yes, it's still safer to, or, you know, safe to breastfeed. Yes, you can, you can check that off the list of your worries. Mm -hmm. If it makes you feel any better, your kid probably already has it in your row too. So, (laughs) (laughs) um, so what have we discovered about the presence and persistence of PFAS? Again, found in detectable levels of 90% of the U.S. population as well as being prevalent globally. So international listeners, you too. Yeah, you, you have not escaped. <laughs> you were there as well. Um, also, sorry, because both of those companies I just mentioned are U.S.-based, So, but lots of companies are using them. So knowing what we know about PFOA, and then PFOS, PFOS. That's those stand for perfluorooctanoic acid and <laughs> perfluorooctane sulfanic acid. Great job. These, thank you. I'm very <laughs> proud of myself. Um, these are the two most well studied, along with a couple other of the PFOS. They were some of the earliest invented of the PFOS, um, and uh, they are proven to be bad. So they have mostly been phased out of production. Not entirely, but mostly phased out of production. There's like some exemptions, some places like where if they're used for a particular purpose, they don't want them to entirely stop using them. I haven't figured out a substitute. There is some criticism that like the companies 3M phased them out of production in 2002. DuPont promised to phase them out by 2015. One of the articles I was reading was saying, yeah, and then they said, those will be gone we'll just use a different type of PFAS that isn't as well studied yeah it is I think a bit bold to be like this is better because we don't have as much information right yeah that's problematic yeah the two that I just mentioned are considered long chain PFAS versus the short chain PFAS the thought with the short chain PFAS is that they probably have a shorter half-life but we don't have that information (laughs) that we would really like to have about that the CDC has a department called the Agency for Toxic Substances and Disease Registry. And so they have been in charge of doing a lot of studies on things. Um, and they do blood studies on the general U.S. population. And they've also been doing studies on certain focus group populations that may have exposure because of their occupation or location. And studies results are released every two years. One of the significant findings is that levels of PFOA and PFOS in the blood levels of the general population have gone down. Hooray! Yay! Okay. So, Excellent. remember, these have been basically phased out of production. And so, from the initial study, which I think was in around 2000 to, like, 2018, which is the study they were referencing, PFOAs have gone down 85%. PFOs have gone down 70%. So, Sarah, I have a nice little graph there that you can take a look at. Mm-hmm. They did study four different levels of things. Um, but I also wanted to include some of the focus groups here. So uh, would you like to read some of these focus groups that these are populations in general that they have picked out as having high exposures to PFOS, for example? Or over on the left hand side here. Yes. Yep. Ooh, interesting. OK, so we have manufacturing workers, which makes sense. This is specifically manufacturing workers in Decatur, Alabama. Is this mm-hmm. the year that 1998 the was, was done in, in yes. 98? Uh, the Little Hawking Water Association in Ohio back in 2005-2006. Decatur, Alabama in 2010. We have the general U.S. population in the year 99 to 2000. Uh, Montgomery and Bucks Counties, Pennsylvania. 
Portsmouth, New Hampshire in 2015. Pennsylvania was 2018. Newburgh, New York, 2016 and 2017. West Hampton Beach, New York, 2018. And the general U.S. population again in 2017 to 2018. So this is just one of the like four graphs of different types of PFAS. Imagine my dismay (laughs) while researching PFAS and finding the county I grew up in and live in currently on the list of exposed (laughs) groups. Oh, we just did eight focus groups across the entire United States and where I live is on there. So I did a little bit of digging about why the heck we are on this list. And it is because there is a military base where they would do a lot of trainings with that aqueous firefighting fluid that leached into the groundwater. Mm -hmm. Wow. So like decades of PFAS being used in training and in practical measures were leached into the groundwater. Now, looking at the particular location, it is not nearby my (laughs) growing up spot or where Mm -hmm. I currently live, but they did reach out specifically to folks in this area being like, hey, we would really like to do studies on everybody's blood here to figure out what's going on. And they gave citizens like back their own blood reports to tell them how they individually ranked as far as PFAS exposure. And so there was there's an interesting article that has in, in the show notes that has some of their feedback on there. Some of the citizens were like, I can't even look at it. <laughs> yeah. Some of them said, it says that my my exposure rates are moderate, but like their health recommendations are basically the same health recommendations that you might have. Like get screened for these different cancers. Right. You should do that if you're a certain age. They did say that they had trouble getting enough samples from children during this. They were not able to meet their their goal. But from so the one that you're looking at right now, Sarah, this graph is PFOAs. It was the PFHX. S that uh that the people in my area were much more exposed to, which is a different graph I didn't put on here. But okay, it is yeah. interesting. I'll tell you what you know, just to continue the thread from the beginning of this, you know, not being something that's at the forefront of my mind. Just this moment of seeing this and knowing that you live there has brought this all just immediately. Like the relevancy has brought it to me. Oh my gosh! Like I really now I now I'm much more invested. Like, which is just crazy the way that our minds work. It, right. So, it feels, it feels it, more it's close just to made, home. Just, yeah. And it just feels so much more real. And like, this is a real thing that people really have to deal with. And yeah, like we should know more about this. The article really reminded me of some of the local reporting from the East Palestine train mm-hmm. derailment because people were reporting that people they grew up on their same street with, a lot of them had health issues and now they're feeling like they might have something to assign it to and of course studies are going to have to tell us a little bit more about that correlation but they can be confirmed that they do have higher levels of certain PFAS in their blood from that exposure it's not just like a weird coincidence everyone Mm -hmm. on the street like they are a focus group for a reason so um that brings us to what is being done about this. Actually, a lot is going on right now. I I said like in the beginning, don't let this give you as much anxiety because we're actually moving into a better place right now. So the bipartisan infrastructure bill allocated $5 billion to fight emerging contaminants like PFAS in the drinking water, specifically of underserved rural or small communities. 
And $2 billion is now available and states can apply to access that money to help with public monitoring and cleanup. But you might say, like, I don't live in a small community. (laughs) That's okay, because the EPA has also proposed a new rule limiting the presence of six PFAS chemicals in our water systems as of March 14th. So this is all very recent. There are existing rules that established uh, were established in 2016 and 2022, um, but they were kind of recommendations. They were considered non-enforceable. They were just like, hey, this is what we're thinking about being safe levels of PFAS in drinking water. This is what we're recommending. So the new proposed rules are enforceable. This is from the National Law Review. The proposed MCLs follow a lifetime health advisory for PFOA, PFOS, Gen X, which is a different type of PFAS, um, PFBS, issued by the EPA in the summer of 2022. The health advisory levels for PFOAs and PFOS are 0.004 parts per trillion. However, that is a level that cannot be yet reliably detected in laboratories. So the current maximum uh, level is four parts per trillion but it's low relative to uh, levels in place for other constituents. And it is at least detectable using current technology. The level that they're proposing is not the health recommended level, but it is the level that we are able to accurately monitor. Which makes sense. You can enforce that. Right. The goal overall seems zero. We would like there to be zero (laughs) in the drinking water. Um, Up until now, it's been really a state-by-state enforcement. And of course, if you've got communities that don't have a lot of resources or companies that are not, uh, who are processing your water, who are not opting into voluntary testing, yeah, there's not much you can do about it. But this bipartisan infrastructure rule, along with the EPA ruling, will make it mandatory and would uh, allow for more resources for it to happen. It is a proposed rule, so they're getting feedback right now. It is not in place. They're hoping that it goes into place at the beginning of next year. So that's pretty cool. And in fact, when I was looking at it, um, the EPA has been like, this is not uh, the EPA or the Biden-Harris administration jumping on a bandwagon of like, the news is talking about it right now. Um, They actually came out with a plan to address PFAS in 2021, and the EPA put out a roadmap to address PFAS. So this is all part of a plan that has been going on where they've been gathering data, trying to come up with the best solutions and are starting to implement it across. Oh, good. Crossways. So yes, it's really cool. Um, another cool thing that's going on along with like these lines is a lot of this money is also looking at addressing all of our lead pipes. So like my water company is coming around to our houses. I got an email from them being like, hey, we're going to knock on your door and we're going to check to see if you have lead pipes. So that's pretty cool too. That's another environmental Mm -hmm. thing going on with that. There is a discussion that began this week in Europe in banning PFAS in the EU. So over 100 brands support the ban. So they're looking for public comment right now. So not just here, other places too. And then an article from today pointed out three class action lawsuits in New York and California. They're against the brand OB for their organic tampons. Bolt House Farms for some of their juice and Biosteel Sports Nutrition for some of their sports drinks because all of these products allegedly contain PFAS in them. And all of these brands were specifically promoting either the health nutrition element or the like organic natural component of these products. And so these lawsuits are basically alleging you can't use marketing that says that these are 
healthy for us while also knowing they contain PFAS in the product itself. Sarah, you're looking like a little skeptical about this. Uh, no, I just, I, I would have to think about that for a while. I think that there are a lot of things that get marketed as healthy that yes. are not healthy <laughs> in some respects. So I have to think about why, if, why I, this is specifically different warranting a lawsuit. And I don't, I don't know the answer to that. It's interesting though. I do think, I mean, the one against OB is interesting because like the thought of it being in a tampon is pretty scary to mm. me because like that's something that you put in your body like you don't just ingest it and it's specifically in their organic tampons so something that's like oh not treated with bleach not treated with certain chemicals might be talking around the fact that PFAS is also really bad for us so it'd be kind of like saying that uh that oh my uh my swordfish is wild caught and you're like yeah all of them are wild caught (laughs) you know where it's more of a marketing technique versus and talking around the real issue there so that's a lot of stuff going on in like this week, these last three weeks. Yeah. That was exciting to me. Like I felt like less helpless about this. Yeah. No, I mean, I think it's even just good to know that these two, you know, biggest studied ones that we've phased them out or and or are mm-hmm. phasing them out for the most part. So it's nice to see when that happens we're like hey yeah this is bad let's get rid of him and of course as we say there's so many more and there's we you know so i would love to see more research and studies being done on these things too but i like to see that steps have been made and the epa it was the epa right that has the roadmap mm-hmm. uh, yeah i like to hear about stuff like that too the epa has a roadmap but also the cdc and the fda are also actively performing research to track it in our supply chain and the health impacts so there's a lot of government agencies that are currently working on this project so we're getting a lot more of this research coming back um i think sometimes it can make us feel a little bit helpless so you might be like thinking i'm only gonna drink bottled water from here on out or things like that um what can the average citizen do um for drinking water at duke city found the best system if you wanted to filter out pfos from your drinking water reliably was an under the sink reverse osmosis filter which were effective up to 94 percent. so that's a pretty good amount pitcher filters and whole system filters have some effectiveness but they vary widely from brand to brand, type to type, age to age in being effective and consistent. So like some of them were effective up to 74%, but then they couldn't repeat that across the process over Mm -hmm. and over again. The recommendation from the study is that if you want to use a filter, go ahead and use one and replace it frequently. That's going to have better results, most likely. And Certain clothing brands have phased out PFOS. So L.L. Bean and American Eagle have some others like Patagonia and Ralph Lauren have a timeline for phasing it out. Um, So the NRDC does have a document that ranks different clothing companies based on their sustainability and the chemicals in them. Um, They warn, don't look for a tag that says that they have phased like, you know, PFOS free or PFOA free, because that's, again, a marketing technique that. The, right. We already know that. It's yep. the PFAS in general that we're trying to avoid in this particular case. So those are the two most harmful, but we already knew that. So that is a lot of the things that are going out there. Really, though, the biggest thing that we can do is to advocate for stopping PFAS at the, sh- the source rather than trying to 
personally try and stop them from entering our bubble because if they're in the air and they're in the water and the food and the clothes and the products that we we interact with we're gonna keep getting exposed so um no matter what lifestyle you live in the u.s you seem to have exposure to pfas so it's not how you decide to live your life it is much more about how we can regulate the systems that bring us our resources especially the chemical producers so that's that's what I found about PFAS. <laughs> yeah, no, I actually feel pretty uh, good about it. That seems like a weird thing to say, but I do feel like I'm not going to live my life in fear of these. I recognize that I've already had exposure. We'll talk in the the wrap up, and I'm excited to hear what your challenges of the week are to think about different things that we can do. But I think. I do largely still feel the same way I did at the beginning with the exception that you have made it more of a real thing for me. So I think I'm going to be more aware about what's going on with these in the future. And yeah, I do feel positive knowing that some of them have already been phased out. And so hopefully we can continue to make those steps as we move forward. Yeah, I think for me, I'm I'm not afraid to read an article about them now. I think mm-hmm. before I was like too much that's a little yeah I don't know if I want to dive into that anxiety hole yet but I I'm not afraid to read an article about them I feel like I'm much better informed I feel like we're on a good path that we have to keep chasing down which is where our challenges will go but like personally I am going to do a little bit of research about things like uh what does my like what clothing is my baby going to be wearing I'm purchasing new clothing like what has the brands that I'm trying to look at talked about phasing out things like PFAS and maybe you know again she's going to be exposed no matter what but maybe it's not just about her it's about reaching out to those brands and saying hey this is important to me as a mom versus uh you know and having them change policy rather than just like the decision of how I close my kid because I'm also clothing my kid in lots of hand-me-downs and I'm very happy about that (laughs) (laughs) Um, So if you guys stick around, we will be back with our challenge of the week. All right, guys, as I said, the, the best way we can really limit our exposure to PFAS is not to personally change our lives as much as it is to help support action made at the source. And so I have a couple challenges for the week. One, it's, you know, you don't have to to scary contact anyone. And number one, you can just read the <laughs> EPA's roadmap on banning or addressing PFOS is yeah. really what, what that's for. You can also look into your state's action on PFAS. So Maine and California have both passed some legislation that has to do with addressing PFAS. Again, they are not entirely comprehensive. They are looking at particular types of PFAS or they're looking at in particular contexts. But take a look, see if your state's out there doing some stuff because you might have an ability to contact a legislature legislator on something that not a lot of people are contacting them about right now and throw your little voice in there. And if you're in the EU, you got your comment period to tell your opinion on the ban. So if you felt like in this episode we were convincing that maybe we just need to steer away from PFAS entirely, you can reach out to somebody and let them know. Yeah, I'm definitely excited to look at the roadmap. I will probably continue to not buy any more nonstick 
cookware, maybe I will retire the, at least the one terrible, terrible pan that I have. <laughs> and then, like I said, I do have the one I moved away from the nonstick in the, with the last one that I got. So I will continue to move away from some of those things and, and be a little more aware of what's going on in the future. If you guys haven't listened before, we issue challenges every week to our listeners to either learn a little bit more or do something conservation action oriented. I forgot to mention this in the intro, but I had promised last week I was going to read Hershey's Cocoa Plan. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And because uh, we did sustainable chocolate, how to, to buy chocolate last week. Um, I did look that up and I actually also looked at my ginormous bag of chocolate chips I talked about. And on the back it found out that it was Rainforest Alliance certified. Yay! And they had a whole little thing about, like, read our cocoa plan. It's from Nestle. Nestle's got its own issue, but it's got a cocoa plan yeah. <laughs> in there. Oh, that's good. And so that was really interesting because uh, those companies are really trying to address some of the issues that are, uh, especially in Ghana and the Ivory Coast, that have to do with deforestation and um poverty and child labor and things like that um, they specifically mentioned planting shade trees in um, in places that were deforested so that was really interesting it's one of those things where you're like i'm specifically trusting the word of this chocolate company sure. so the next step would be for me to read from maybe some ngos and from uh sources in those areas about how effective these programs are but uh but it was gratifying to see like the Rainforest Alliance certified symbol on there and and get to know a little bit more about what these uh, companies are doing. So if you have an update on your challenges, you can do any of these at any time. You can tell any yeah. of any of your progress with us. We want to hear about it. Yeah, it doesn't matter when you're listening to which episode. They're all up there. Go back, do some old challenges. Whenever, wherever you're listening, you can feel free to send us your updates, take pictures of your little Rainforest Alliance frog and post them, tag us, send them to us, whatever. Yeah. Sarah, if they want to do that, where can they do that? Everywhere. We're on Facebook. You can find us in a Little Greener Podcast. We're on Instagram at a Little Greener Pod. We're on Twitter at a Greener Podcast. You can email us at a Little Greener Podcast at gmail.com. We are also on YouTube. You can find our newer episodes as they post. Uh, if you prefer to use captions, you can use the automatic captions on the YouTube posts. And just so you're aware, listeners, we have switched currently to a Saturday release date. So if you are somebody who downloads automatically or listens on the first day or whatever, just know our, our new episodes are now coming out Saturday each week. We're still here. Happy anniversary, Sarah two years happy two-year anniversary pod. we're closing in yeah. closer and closer to 100 episodes so thanks for all of our listeners who've been with us and people who have joined us and uh, we hope to keep doing this we're having fun yep all right thanks casey thanks for the great episode always informative thanks for talking to me we'll talk to you guys next week bye